Hi, this is Bobby Ryan of the Detroit Red Wings, and you are listening to Empty Betters with Nick, Mack, and Harrison. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 66 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes. I'm going to toss it across the screen to my co-host, Nick Manella. How are we doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I mean, it is gorgeous here today in Maryland, about like 66, so a nice little change 31. of pace from like, you know, it being 26 or 36 over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. Some nice weather outside and yeah, happy to be here. 75 and sunny tomorrow, hitting a couple golf balls. Spring is on the horizon. Life is good. Uh, I'm going to toss it off to the West Coast to our producer, Mac Vogel. How are we doing, buddy? Doing well, as always. Um, just living life out here for a little bit longer. I'm actually going to be making a big move back to the Midwest in about a month, a little over a month, but um, making the most of my time out here while I'm still here. And uh, yeah, it's a nice day here as well. When do you move? So I'm I'm zeroing in on a specific date, but it's looking like it's going to be like somewhere around April 20th, Blaze. Nice. I was going to say nice, but <laughs> yeah, that's sick. Yeah, sometime around then. So yeah, well, enjoy the weather while you got it. Um, For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to hop right into this one. We got a lot to cover. Uh, our big announcement, we have an NHLer coming on as our interview guest today. Awesome guest. Yeah, about a week ago, we interviewed Buffalo Sabres legend and all-time fighter Rob Ray. That was an electric interview. Uh, He's currently uh, the color commentator for the Buffalo Sabres. He played 10 seasons in Buffalo, uh, two seasons in Ottawa. He is six all-time on the NHL penalty minutes list and is widely regarded as a top 10 fighter of the 1990s. 100%. He is, I would uh, say, top 10, maybe even top five all time. His YouTube highlights speak for themselves. So I encourage all of you to go do that. Uh, but we were very lucky to have him join us last week or two weeks ago, maybe. I can't remember at this point, but uh, that will be at the middle of the interview. We also just want to say, and hopefully you guys have seen it, uh, we're making a big change to the I guess, dynamic of the episode. We will no longer be issuing picks of the week in advance. We've officially moved all of our gambling activity over to Book It Sports. Book It Sports is a social media platform for sports gamblers that allows you to follow other sports gamblers, see their picks, track their records, see their notes for what's coming up. Uh, It's a great app. We are not sponsored in any way. So just want to full disclaimer, like we chose to do this. Uh, even though we should be sponsored. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're really excited. We've been using that quite a bit. So anytime you see the screenshots on the social media platforms, it's coming from Book It Sports. So uh, I encourage all of you to download the app. It's like an orange and black icon. Looks like a book. Makes sense. Yeah, Book uh, It's one word, sports. And then you know, you'll find it in the app store right away. Super streamlined, super easy, like Harrison said, to like post, share, follow, whatever, all that jazz. And then like, if you don't want to download the app or you're, you're like one of like my 12 friends who has no storage space on their phone, we'll still be sharing screenshots of all that stuff on our social media. But this is, uh, it's just like a more immediate way of doing this, which I think makes a lot more sense, especially in a season that's already expedited as it is. So 
Yeah, I feel I like think- we were sort of like putting ourselves at a disadvantage trying to predict stuff like nearly a week out. Yeah, and I, I we take this seriously, and you know we think that given the it's kind of like series going on right now, like every team has like a series with another team. You don't know who's starting the first game, you don't know who's going to win the first game. That plays a huge factor in the the upcoming schedule. So we thought, you know what, we're going to do this, and we like it a lot. So uh, that's enough of empty betters house cleaning. I'm going to toss it off to Nick for the league news. Uh, starting off with some sad news. Uh, obviously, Walter Gretzky passed away at the age of 82, uh, widely regarded as Canada's hockey dad, uh, just a tremendous individual from, you know, how he, you know, molded his son and instilled the love of the game into the greatest to ever do it. Uh, and then just the way that he stayed involved in the hockey community and his own community uh, in Brantford is just, it was great to see, you know, the support that the Gretzky family was getting and he will definitely be missed. Yeah, rest in peace to hockey's dad, as they say, Canadian royalty. That's yep. uh, sad news. Wayne's speech was very well done. Yes. Um, so, you know, rest in peace to Walter Gretzky. Yeah. Uh, Brent Seabrook retired, uh, sort of came out of nowhere, I would say. But yeah, uh, there's a career for you. I mean, he had, a, he had an injury problem, right? Was it his hip? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was his hip, but he, he had been uh, in and out of the lineup. That contract kind of fucking sucked for them too but uh yeah hell of a career he took out a full page ad in the chicago newspaper uh to thank the blackhawks and all of their fans so congrats to one hell of a career by brent seabrook that's a great run three cups not bad gold that, medal yes and that's, that's right o- yeah yeah famous ot winner against uh detroit when it went yeah. off of- he's got a couple of them i think it went off yeah. cronwall's foot or yeah. jonathan erickson's foot and then mm-hmm. it snuck past can't remember why did I think of that? I don't know. That's his career defining moment. I think exactly. Complete stud. Uh, the flames fired their head coach. I think that's a great move considering how that's going. Is that their second one in two seasons now that they um, fired? Yes. Well, Sounds about right. Cause Peters got canned last they year. They fired like, Peters last year. The abusive shit. Yeah. Um, right. And they bring on Daryl Sutter who has been their coach before. Right. right. Yeah. Wasn't he uh, their coach in 04? I, was it that long ago? Because they played in the cup finals against Tortorella in the light. Yeah. Well, and then wasn't, was he coaching the Kings or somebody more recently? He was coaching yeah, somebody he coached, recently. He won both cups in LA. I'm pretty That's sure. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, they shit canned Jeff Ward, brought on Sutter. Sutter or Sutter? I always get it wrong. I think it's Sutter. Sutter. Yeah. Sutter. Okay. Uh, they've lost both games since the firing, by the way, for whatever that's worth. So in typical Flames fashion so far this year. <laughs> I don't think that's a situation where your coach is going to come in, like a new coach is going to come in and just magically be the Band-Aid. Yeah. That team's got so many more problems before they you know, can start to expect that to happen. For sure. Yeah, I just feel like some of their studs, like Lindholm, Gaudreau, Monaghan, like t- two or three seasons ago, they broke out and were like unreal. And everyone was like, holy crap. And Lindholm came over from Carolina and he looked incredible. And uh, the I'd say a little bit of last year, probably most of last year. And then this year, the consistency just hasn't been there. So I no. think that they need to do a little soul searching on their core. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Caps Bruins game from last week, uh, specifically <laughs> the one on Wednesday. Was, I think, the closest we've seen so far this year to a playoff hockey game. Yes. And that, in my opinion, includes, you know, Battle I'll of let, Alberta, all that shit. But I'll, I'll let you two take this for, and I'll give my thoughts at the end. Okay. 
Uh, so the what like we were texting during this game, and the last five minutes of the first period was basically just like watching a monster truck just like run into another one over and over yeah. and over again, just like one huge hit after another. And it it got pretty chippy and pretty nasty. It culminates with Wilson hitting Brandon Carlo high and getting a seven game suspension for it. And also OV uh, cup checking Trent Frederick uh, and gets a $5,000 fine. So, well, so, the, so the Wilson hit was in the second game. I'm like, is that right? I, I feel like my brain's a mush now. I can't it, remember. It's so anything. hard when these yeah. games are back to back or whatever, but I yeah. think pretty sure Wilson hit was in the second game. Either way, I could probably write a book with all the things I have to say about that hit and what the league decided to do about it and everything. I'll try to keep it short. I don't know if you want to give your opinions first or after all you. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. First off, most important thing to start with. I hope that Brandon Carlo is okay. I hope that he can return soon. You never want to see a guy get injured like that, especially head injury. Moving on. I firmly believe that this hit is a hockey play and that Wilson doesn't have any intent to injure on the play. I think he's going shoulder to shoulder. It's not charging. He's not, he's not in stride. It's not really boarding because it's not from behind and they're both right against the boards. To me, boarding is when there's a significant amount of space between the player getting hit and the boards and it's from behind. Okay. Okay. I recognize that Carlo does not have a chance to really see what's going on or protect himself. He's got his head down. Okay. So that's partially his fault. However, it is also Wilson's responsibility to know where Carlo's head is and avoid contact with it. So there's a couple things wrong. I'm not going to say that it's like a hundred percent clean, perfect. Nothing needs to be done here. I'm going to say because of Wilson being a big 220, whatever, pounds of muscle and because he's a hard hitter trying to get a shoulder to shoulder hit he misses because carlo turns the last second he misses the shoulder he drives through it gets him in the head slams his head into the glass it's an unfortunate play i think this hit happens multiple times a week and ends up being shoulder to shoulder this time it was unfortunate that it ended up going to his head because of Wilson's history, I get it. They have to make a call, a suspension, whatever. I think somewhere around two or three games might have been reasonable or expected. I think seven games is a complete joke. I think given that it's a 56-game season, them saying a seven-game suspension here is basically them saying that in a normal season he should have gotten 10. Uh, last thing I'll say about it is that, um, you know, Wilson – obviously has been suspended what four or five times he five times he, he knows that that the league is you know got him under a microscope it's a tough play i don't think that he would have done anything differently if he had the chance to do it again i really think he's just trying to make a hit and it ends up you know resulting in an unfortunate injury and all that and I just want to see some more consistency from the NHL. That's all I'm asking for. I think the start of the consistency needs to be in their definition of their rules. Right. Because it's so open to 
a referee's interpretation. And that's why you end up having to call Toronto and for them to make this final decision or this final call. Like, is this a major minor or whatever? Yeah. What's stupidest about it is that there's no penalty on the play. And then he gets seven game suspension versus let's say that hit earlier this season, Leo Komarov laid on Lars Eller five minute major on the play, no suspension. I thought that was a worse hit than the Wilson one. I'm going to have to agree with you. It's just, there's not really a whole lot of consistency when it comes to this kind of thing. And you nailed it in the sense that I think Tom Wilson can pretty much expect five games from now on, no matter what he does, because he's got the, you know, he's not Matt cook. He's not Rafi Torres, but he does have this, you know, rap sheet, you know, this being his fifth suspension going along with him. And, you know, if you're going to catch a guy like the one he had against Oscar Sundquist, that was like the 20 game that got reduced to 14. That was a bad hit. I mean, it was, I don't think he meant to do it. I don't think he ever means to, you know, intentionally hit someone high and certainly not in the head area now with what we know, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought seven was way too much. I thought, you know what I told my dad, I was like, it's one game for the hit and six because his name is Tom Wilson, but mm-hmm, yeah. um you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, certainly, you know, everyone's talking about the hit. They're not looking at the cross checks afterwards. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was an explosive game. And, you know, this is obviously, you know, like you said, you hope Carlo's okay and, you know, hope he can return soon, but, you know, buckle up if those two meet in the playoffs. It's also ridiculous. Like the amount of actual hockey analysts saying things like, Oh, Tom Wilson should be like, banned from the league like get the fuck over it this is not a hit that's like or people are literally like comparing him to to like sean avery and shit it's like bro this guy is nothing like him nothing like him you, you guys good you got your therapy session done we are we all right i I'm said good. what i needed yeah okay. right. i want to hear your thoughts on it harry uh, I, I texted uh, my friend group who's all Caps fans, and I said it's probably a one to two gamer if his name's not Tom, and they slabbed on an extra five, and you yeah. you, you lose him. Like I hate I hate Tom Wilson, but I can call I can call it like it is. And Mac, I think I, I like what you said. Like it nine times out of ten, and because he's going full speed, it's shoulder to shoulder. But Carlo pulls up, all of a sudden his head's exposed. It's unfortunate. I. I mean, I can't really blame Wilson for finishing his check. I guess you could make a separate argument if you think he should have hit him. I mean, God like, knows what people how is think. He, like, how is he supposed to stop, though, right? Right, yeah. right. It, it, someone would have to argue, like, he just should have never started going at him, which you can't really say. So, no. um, But at this point in time, if you have head contact and your name is Tom Wilson, it's expected to have an extra – you're going to get, like, 50% more penalty than whatever somebody else gets. and. Yeah. You could argue that's wrong or right. Um, this is his fifth suspension. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there. He's. I, I feel like if he gets one more, it's like minimum double digits. We'll see. Losing him for an eighth of a season kind of sucks. That's it really it. does because he's been. It, it's yeah. no secret he's been one of their most effective players on the ice. I was listening to uh, one of the hockey guys' videos. Very, very good with his analysis. And what he said, which I found really interesting, was he's like, look. Wilson's at this point now where yes, you're a repeat offender, but he was like, he's not playing that much further over the line than let's say the Kachuk brothers, but right. simply because they don't have the rap sheet, they're not going to get the same thing. He's like, honestly, I could see both of them or one ending up in the same situation that Tom Wilson is in. Matt, I think Matthew will also, you got to remember Tom is like a 
big motherfucker. Like he can steamroll guys, unlike yeah. the Kachuk boys. I mean, the Kachuk boys aren't small dudes, but gigantic. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a big man. So, um, can we can we talk about Ovi's five k tab for a little jab to the <laughs> nose? A little cup check. He was checking him for safety reasons. <laughs> yeah, uh, I uh, loved every part of that because Frederick was trying to go him, and Ovi's looking at him like he you had know, it like, coming. So it's like hard. turn around. I don't even know who you are. Like, let me see the name bar on the back. Literally, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, something tells me he, he's okay with five k. I think he'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a hunch. <laughs> Um, all right, wrapped up the Caps Bruins game. Nick, you want to move sure. on? Sure. Uh, the Sharks, Joachim Blitchfield, is that how you say that? I believe so. Cool. Was suspended two games for hitting Nathan McKinnon. Uh, what did you guys think of this hit that resulted in a suspension? Um, I, it was, did you guys see the highlight first off? I did. Mac, did you see it? I actually didn't see it. Okay. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like McKinnon tried to make like a, a little like pull up move in open ice and basically Blitchfield uh, just clipped him. It was like a, it was like an ever so minor clip, but I think it got him like up in the head, didn't it? Or this is one of those where it's it's just sort of a it's obviously not intentional. I, I don't think it was, but it's like just sort of a consequence of the sport. Like you have two speeding objects going at each other one's trying to get away from one one's trying to hit one and sort of both at the same time happened if that makes sense mckinnon cuts to get away blitchfield's able to get just enough of him but he you know the timing is off so it's just the head you know it's just an unfortunate you know collision and i think that's two games is fine yeah and it also sucks that nate dog is uh you know out for a couple games i don't think yeah. he's, i think he came back into the lineup and now he's out again i can't remember mm-hmm. but um it happens yeah uh weather report in buffalo is cloudy gloomy rainy and bust out whatever bottle of liquor you got and just start pounding it because it ain't pretty uh jimmy vc of the maple leafs who used to be on the sabers has more goals this season than taylor hall and jack eichel combined yeah, VC has five. Eichel and Hall combined have four. Uh, What's per- the contract hit comparison there? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, it's probably in the three or uh, not three digits. That would be in the hundreds. I don't know how many digits are in a million, but something like that. Probably like eight digits if my uh, math is correct there. Per Jeff Merrick on the Chicklets podcast this morning, he fully expects that Eichel will be moved in the offseason. I saw that. Which I agree with. Um, if he were to get moved, it's too big of a trade to do in the middle of the season. Especially, Completely agree. Especially a COVID season. So uh, let's see. I, I really don't know what to say at this point. Eichel is out tonight on uh, Tuesday, March 9th against Philly, I believe, uh, hammering the Flyers in a parlay. That's on our story. And yeah. Buffalo's fucked. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. That's a great way to put it because that's exactly the situation that they're in. And yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it's going to happen during the season. I think it's going to be an off season blockbuster, I hope, but yeah, that's going to be huge whenever it does happen. And you know, Buffalo's going to go insane. Oh yeah. But Skinner scored the other night, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah. So first game back, he got a little, got a nice little goal there for himself. Only like 44 more to go to make yeah. it worth it. <laughs> that it goal costs how much money? <laughs> right. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Break it down on a per goal basis. Let's see what Jeez. it comes out to. 
Speaking of paying for goals on a per goal basis, I would pay a lot of fucking money for that Matt Barzell goal the other night. Yeah. Did yeah, you, you was, guys take a peep that at that? That was little... nuts. Did you know that they were, I'm pretty sure they were wearing their reverse retros in that they game. Were. They were. And you couldn't tell. It's it, hard to tell, but. It just looks like the Islanders jerseys from like the early 2000s. It's, it's like a the, little darker. Yeah, it's yeah. just the navy blue instead of the it's, it's, royal blue, I think. It's fine. So stupid. Yeah. It's so the, I mean, the jerseys look good, but it's just like they should have yeah. done something it's no different like if you're on television it looks literally no different i just i mean i get that they've never really had like a a different they should have brought back the the fishermen well the fishermen yeah yeah. i'm gonna bring that back pretty sure dean and mike mentioned something about that so i know a lot of islanders fans that hate that jersey not because of the design but simply because of what that jersey like does to their brain just because of how bad they were yeah fair point uh yeah if you haven't seen barzell's goal we also threw that up on our instagram so you can go check it out it was pretty fucking unreal probably the yeah. goal of the year i'd say that was yep. nasty uh matt duchene just some injuries to get to is out with a lower body injury for three to five weeks that sucks for an already i would say not doing too great predators team so yeah um more trouble down the middle for the predators what else is new uh dallas has announced that ben bishop and tyler sagan are still both four to six weeks away from returning and i believe Radulov is out too right yeah, Radulov yeah. is out right now. I don't know for how much longer, but he's out. Yeah. So not exactly, I think, the the ideal bounce back season. And the, the stars, stars are kind of fucked right now, actually. Yeah, like, not they're, the... they're way down in the standings. And with those injuries, it's going to be pretty tough to to climb back up when you got Carolina, Tampa. Yeah. Their schedule has been their schedule is so messed up because they've been hit the hardest by COVID. So they have to play like something like 18 games in 29 nights or something crazy like that. So they got a long road. Yeah. It'd be nice for them to get Bishop back. So, uh, Godobin wouldn't be carrying the load so much. Seriously. Right. It's him and Jake Ettinger, Ottinger, Ottinger. who, by the way, had a shutout the other night, actually. Did he really? Good for him. Yeah. Before I forget, speaking of goalies, Darcy Kemper is out, I think, four weeks. They just announced. Yes. So just wanted to add that in there. Uh, and then Anaheim's Hampus Lindholm is going to be out six weeks with a fractured wrist. Uh, already a depleted Ducks team anyways. Although Zegris has been doing pretty well. Shootout winner, overtime assist. Um, that assist was nasty. It was. Nice little sauce. Yeah. So, it was a crazy game uh, between it was. Anaheim and LA. What was it? 6-5 OT final or something like that? A barn burner. Yep. And... So. Yeah, I think that's all we have for updates. And I think Harry has a little update about our sponsor for you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Let's take a minute to talk about Brackish Life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then Brackish Life is perfect for you. They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's real Bay apparel made by real Bay people. Head to www.brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh Brackish Life. Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve this beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support the great cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. Thank you, Brackish Life, for sponsoring this interview with NHL legend Rob Ray. We're going to toss it off to Rob right now. And our next guest was an NHL veteran for 15 seasons with 900 games played, drafted 97th overall by Buffalo in the 88 draft, 
has 3,207 penalty minutes, which is good enough to put him six all-time in NHL history. The 1999 season King Clancy Trophy winner and current color commentator for the Buffalo Sabres. Thank you, Rob Ray, for joining our podcast. Uh, no problem, gentlemen. Looking forward to it. How uh, how are you doing up in up in Buffalo right now? How are things going? Oh, it's good. It's starting to thaw out a little bit up here. You know, the snow's kind of dwindling away. We got hit pretty hard, so it's been a long long winter. But uh, yeah. no, things are good up here. You know, this is a, this is a such a great place to live. It's uh, it's a hidden secret, and a lot of people they they look down on it because they've never experienced it. But I'll tell you what, I came here in '88, and I will never leave. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've personally never been, but you only hear good things, especially from the athletes up there. So it sounds like a hell of a sports town. Um, kind of with all of our guests, we want to we want to ask you, you know, where did you kind of learn the game of hockey? Where did you grow up? How did you start? We, we always like to get some initial background from our guests. Well, I came from a small town, 1200 person town, farm town in Ontario. And it's from, from here and from Buffalo, it's about a three and a half hour drive. It's about two hours east of Toronto, uh, just inland on the north side of Lake Ontario. So it, it was a small town. We had an arena, obviously, in our town. It was an arena. There was one gas station. There was a bank, a grocery store, and a liquor store. That was pretty much what covered our whole town. And it was great because you got to skate all the time. We had a nice uh, pond. It was called Rodden Creek that came through our, our town. So we always got to skate there all the time, too. And it was just, it was a great place to grow up, you know, a lot of great friends, great people. And, you know, you learn a lot of good values, uh, you know, in that area and, and the way people stuck together and, you know, kind of carried that through your life. But, you know, you had the chance to play as a young kid and play a lot. So, you know, there was never five o'clock in the morning ice times. There was never any, uh, you know, competition for the ice. It was always available. You could use it any time. And I think that really kind of helped a lot of guys along the way. Yeah, can't relate down here in uh, Maryland like we just told you prior to the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 rough. It's uh it's definitely a battle for ice time down here. Um who, you know, growing up, who was your team? Who was your idol? Who'd you kind of look up to? Was there a player that got you really into hockey? Well, there was nobody from my area that had ever made the NHL. And the closest guy would have been Bobby Hall down at Point Anne. And, you know, that was always the big talk in our area was was Bobby Hall, Bobby Hall and you, you, you followed his career. But I think as I got a little older, uh, you started following the Bruins. You liked the way the Bruins played. And, you know, Bobby Orr started to be that guy. You kind of uh, watched an awful lot. And obviously a D, and I always played forward. But, uh, you know, I think just seeing what he was all about, the way he handled himself and, you know, the type of person he was, it was you never heard anything bad about this guy. And, you know, coming up through, uh, you know, it was kind of – kind of hard sometimes because you were always that Bruin fan in the, in your back pocket and, until you got a chance to play against them. And then that immediately changed. And, you know, from that point on, it's, it's strictly Sabres moving forward. So do you want to talk about um, the transition to your junior career between uh, Whippy and Cornwall? Yeah. When I, I finished my second year Bantam. So I was like 14, 15 years old, 14, uh, I played my second year Bantam in my hometown and then I got invited out to Trenton, which was a junior B club and it was about 20 miles away. And, you know, I went there and never think you were going to make it. I made it as like a 14, 15 year old kid. Uh, you know, and that was my first real big experience of what, you know, hockey was all about. It was, it was a good, good hockey. 
Uh, we played in against all the teams around Toronto, and it was a lot of older guys. So you really had to learn the game quick. You had to protect yourself quick. You had to, uh, you know, realize that you were dealing with grownups all of a sudden from coming from a bunch of kids that uh, some may feel peed the bed the year before type thing. So, you know, I kind of went from there, played one year in Trenton, got an invite out to, to Whitby, which was a new tier two team. I uh, went up there. It was probably a couple hours away from my home. It's near Toronto. And I actually made that team. And that was the first time that I really had to live away from home. And, and, and it kind of sucked. You we went to a couple different schools that year because when you were moving from, uh, you know, uh, billets to billets, uh, it was a new team. It was kind of, uh, you know, week to week. You never really knew what was going on. But once again, it was another step up and the quality of hockey was off the charts. And, you know, there you took that step. You learned an awful lot. I had a good chance to, to play with a couple of real good guys that ended up being friends along the way. Teppel Newman and I played there and Yano Yannon that played a long time in New Jersey. So, you know, it was a good team. We only won six or nine games all year long, but uh, it was a great experience. Got drafted to Cornwall out of there the next year and spent three years in Cornwall. And that was one of the greatest experiences ever. Uh, Cornwall is another one of those towns that gets a bad name, but, uh, you know, because of the mills and everything there, but it was a, it was a beautiful place to play. The people were fantastic. Um, our teams there were not always that great, but we, we had good coaching. We had good guys and you learned an awful lot. And fortunately after my third year there, I ended up getting drafted to, uh, to Buffalo. So it seemed like every year just taking that, uh, next step, next step. And, you know, I was very fortunate along the way. What was your uh, draft experience like? I mean, you just talked about being drafted to the Sabres. What was the whole yeah. process like for you? Well, I was I had played my third year of junior and hadn't been drafted. Uh, I was supposed to be drafted the year before. You know how they talk, and, and it never happened. Um, so it was kind of deflating. You thought I played my third year junior and thought that was going to be the end of it, and I was going home and going to be working, you know, at the, the family business for the rest of my life, and, and that would be the end of it. But, you know, it, at that time, there was talk that I was I was probably going to go this year. So, yeah, everybody has an agent at that time. So you went to the draft. It was always in Montreal back then at the Forum. So you were there. And, you know, and not knowing if it was going to happen or not, uh, it was always – it was something that it was, it was tough. It was like every pick, you're sitting there and you're sitting there and you're thinking, is it me? You know, I would end up going like 96, 7th or something like that. So it, it would turn into a very – long day back then that was the fifth round um but the second your name was called it was like oh my god you know it was a, the coolest thing in the world and you know you never forget it you're just sitting there and you're and, and you're just sitting on every name that's called and you're just praying and sweating and hoping that it's going to be you and you know it's not where you get drafted you know what round uh what number all that kind of thing it's just getting the opportunity to go and i think for me that was the biggest thing and you know, for what I said, my hometown, there'd never been anybody drafted before. And man, when I got home from, from the draft, uh, it was like my whole town was, you know, it was party in the streets type thing because that's, that's small town Canada. And, uh, you know, that's the way it was. And it was good because, you know, I knew they appreciated, they were supporting you. And, but it also put a lot of pressure on you too, to, to go and maybe try to succeed or become something because they were kind of living their dreams through you too. Uh, because nobody had ever done it. And, and fortunately, after I was done, two other kids uh, have been had the opportunity along the way, too. So it's it was nice. And it kind of maybe opened up some doors for them. But, 
yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, it was, it was the greatest experience in the world, just being at that draft and hearing your name. And even if you never played a game in the NHL, it was like, yeah, I got drafted and it was, it was, it was great. What was the transition like going from, you know, your junior career in Cornwall to now you're in Rochester uh, in the American league? How was that, you know, different? And um, what were you able to take with you from Cornwall to apply uh, to your game in Rochester? Well, the problem is when you got, I got drafted and went to the training camp here in Buffalo. And then, you know, you were, I was assigned to Roch. And the second I got there, uh, John Van Boxmeer was a coach and he said, look, this is what Buffalo wants. They're looking for somebody to fill this role. What they have, they're not happy with. Do you want to do it? Do you think you can do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, show me, just show me and, and I'll do it. I never, the way you played in the NHL, you did not play in junior. You know, I was a penalty killer in junior, you know, my last year I had 50 some points, you know, 10, 12 goals, whatever it may be good, strong defensively, you know, everybody back then, played hard, played physical, you know, everybody in the league seemed to fight. So you had a little uh, kind of basic groundwork of it. But, you know, once you stepped into the American League, it was a totally different world because it was men, you know. And at that time, I think I was still only 19, just turning 20 maybe. And, you know, you're dealing with back then, there was 35, 40-year-old guys still playing in the American League. So it, was, it wasn't a developmental league back then. It was more competitive and they these teams – built their teams to win, not develop players quite so much. So there'd only be three or four young guys on a team. The rest are all older guys that, uh, you know, the, that they would bring in to, to try to, you know, win championships every year. And now it's, that's the farthest thing from their, their vision when they have teams. Now it's, you know, just develop my players, get my players developed and get them to the next level. So it was night and day. And, you know, that year, I think I ended up with 46 fighting majors that year, 446 minutes and penalties. But you slowly started to learn the craft and, 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 and understand when to, when not to. But still, at the same time, you're expected to play. I think that year I still had 20-some points. As, you know, even going through and doing everything I had to do to learn the craft, you, know, you still had to be able to play along the way. And that's the way the game was back then, even when you stepped to the NHL. So when you had the chance to take the next step, you were, you were totally prepared. But you never really had the confidence for me to do that job till about, you know, five years in or so. And then you started, uh, once you started growing up, maturing a little bit, getting a little stronger, a little bigger, then you're like, okay, I, I can do this at a regular basis. You talk about, you know, a lot of the guys in the American league being uh, older, basically men when you're 19, 20. Um, obviously that's true too about your own team. Uh, is there a certain sense of security that you feel just having guys on your own team that are a bit older, just knowing that, you know, if something happens, they have your back. Um, back then, not so much back then, these guys were, were, they were fighting for themselves a lot. It's, you know, you know, they were, they were living year to year to try to continue to play their career and survive. And, you know, a lot of the times back then you didn't get your hand held the way the kids do now, you know, you stepped in, you had to earn the respect, you had to earn your spot, you had to earn everything. And that was probably the most difficult thing going out and fighting some guy is, you know, one thing, but earning the respect of your the, the older guys in the room, that was the hard part. And, you know, I was fortunate able to do that pretty quick and, you know, and then slowly, you know, they started giving you a little more support, but we never had anybody there that played the role that I was being asked to play. So there wasn't anybody to go and say, Hey, you know, what would you do here? How do you do this? Uh, you know, there, there were a lot of guys that were more offensive players that, uh, you know, that was their game. 
but for the most part, by the time you were done at the end of that year, I think they, they appreciated what you did and how you did it and, and the competitive nature that, you know, you kind of, you won them over very quick. So that was nice. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, you talked about your third year junior, um, you had a really good season. Like you said, you had 41 assists that year and then you transfer into Rochester was, was fighting and the, you know, the tough guy aspect of the game, was that always part of something that you had, or did you kind of have to tailor your game a little bit once you were getting higher up in the ranks? Cause we hear a lot of well, stories where guys kind of have to figure yeah. out how they fit in. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to specialize in something and you have to do everything else, you know, pretty well uh, to survive back then. Um, to say that you back then the game, even in junior was a physical game. And as I said, it didn't matter who you were. If you were a superstar on the team, uh, you know, high draft pick uh, or somebody just trying to survive, everybody played hard and everybody got involved physically. And, you know, that was just the way the game was. And, you know, it was a great way to play the game. So when you had to make that transition to the next level, it wasn't as if it was so foreign that it was like, oh, my God, I've never done this before. You had had experience in it and with it that, uh, you know, it made it a little bit easier. And then in uh, 89, obviously, you get the call up for your first NHL game. And he, I, I can imagine you can describe every feeling that you had that night. Too. Oh, God, yeah. We played the night before in Roch, and John Van Boxberg called me in the office after the game, and he said, hey, there, you've been called up. I'm like, shut up. You know, like, you know, he was like, no, seriously, <laughs> you're going up. You're playing in Pittsburgh tomorrow night. And I'm like, Pox, the Pittsburgh in round, please. And, uh, you know, he was, it took him a minute to convince me that it was actually true. So, you know, from that second on, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones and all that kind of thing. So you literally run back to your house and you're calling your parents and, you know, telling them what's going on. And then, you know, it's, it's, you didn't sleep. I had to fly out the next morning to, to get to Pittsburgh from Roch. Uh, made it there in time for the morning skates. And, you know, it was just like you're walking around and you're looking at these guys. I had only spent, you know, three weeks with these guys uh, in training camp and really never got to know anybody. Uh, then you're kind of just, boom, you're right in the dressing room. They uh, have morning skates and, you know, you're lost. You had no idea what was going on, what to do. Dougie Bodger was my roommate at the time. And he kind of just said, hey, this is, how, this is what this does and this is how we do this. And, you know, lunch is right here. And, and so it was great because he kind of held my hand in that point, you know, that night and warm up. And it was like, you were so nervous, man. You were so nervous. I remember running into Dean Kennedy and Dean was a big man in warm up, And he's like looking at me going, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. You, Cause you were just so wound up, you know, you were just, <laughs> and, and Rick Dudley was the coach and I'd sat there for the first little bit of the game and he never put me on the ice. And then all of a sudden, he calls my name and I'm like, no way. My first shift, uh, you know, I, I ended up getting a pass from Scotty or Neil and, and going through the neutral zone. I hit the blue line. I took a slap shot. I score. And I'm like, I didn't even realize I score. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And as the game went on, I had a goal and assist plus three. And statistically wise, it was the best game I ever had in the NHL was my first one. <laughs> and it was it was the most amazing feeling. And I remember. During that game, remember Rob Brown that used to play in Pitt, yeah. uh, you know, a real offensive guy? He challenged me to a fight off a of faceoff. And I'm looking at him, and he's like, he had scored a, hundreds of goals by that time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is no way. I'm on a roll here. I want to keep this going. <laughs> and uh, so that was great. And I ended up scoring on my first shift and my very last shift in the NHL. 
Wow. That's yeah, awesome. So it was that was pretty cool. That is so cool. Yeah, first game, especially against the Pens. I think I think that 89 season, Lemieux put up like 199 and, or something crazy. And I got the game sheet, and, and Lemieux was on the ice, Coffee was on the ice, scored on Brasso. So it was like, why wow. was I out there to begin with? And, <laughs> you know, it was like by scoring and uh, with those guys on the ice, it just it made it over the top. You're talking right about right I could have went home. I could have went home right there and said, hey, that's enough. I made it. I did it. <laughs> I was going to say, you're talking to the right guy. Harrison is a big Penguins fan. The other two of us are Caps fans, but Harrison is a big Pittsburgh guy. So I'm sure he's pretty That's excited right. about it. Good, they're a good team. Good. They've, they've, hey, uh, we, I appreciate Pittsburgh, what they've been able to do. You know I why? Because it's a small market, the same as what Buffalo has got here. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got – I'm not going to say they got lucky by winning the lottery against Sydney, but it, it sure as heck helps, man. And, <laughs> and But they've made the most of it. I, I give them a lot of credit for what they've done. What was the uh, culture like inside that Sabres locker room? I and there's – you know, you look over the names, yourself included, that were playing there at the time and throughout your Sabres career. What was that whole energy like? Uh, we always had – we always had great guys, very good guys, Um you know, back then it was a different world. Like, you know, there was rules in the room and you better abide by them. And, and I think that's what's so important with teams and good teams that cultures in the room where this is the way, this is what a Buffalo Sabre does. And, you know, this is the, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that. You can do this. And back then it was, it was like that guys like Mike Ramsey and, you know, they, they made you toe the line. It was, uh, you know, when I first got there, Pierre Turgeon was there, and there was a lot of really top-notch quality guys that, you know, really kind of showed you the way and, and what it was all about. So they, they taught you the respect not only for the game, but the respect for the jersey, the logo, and, and representing the team. And, you know, that's something, yeah, I don't know if you quite see quite as much anymore. It's not, it's not nearly the same because these, a lot of these guys just kind of, do their own thing sometimes, but for the most part, uh, you know, back then, you know, you, you didn't do the right thing. You heard about it. You talked to somebody on the other team before the game or after the game. It's like, you heard about it, you know? So things like that never happened back then. And, and, you know, it's, it's a normal thing now. Who is, uh, who is your first career fight and how soon did that happen? I'm curious. Nevin Markworth. Okay. Uh, my second game, my first game was in Pitt. My second game was in Buffalo against Boston Bruins, and it was Nevin Markworth. Nevin was a not a big guy, but he was a scrappy little guy that never stopped. He went 100, but he was a pretty good fighter as well. And uh, early in my first game in Buffalo, uh, it was like the not the next day, but two days later uh, from the first game, and that was it. You know, I I came in there and. You know, after scoring in the first game and penning the game I had, you know, people were always like thinking, you know, what do we got here? And then all of a sudden, you know, I started getting a fight in that game. And it was, you know, they, the fans here accepted me from that second on. And it was great. There, it couldn't have been scripted any better. Nice. Um, I also am just curious because, you know, it's a, I wouldn't say a hot topic, but something that people definitely discuss, you know fighting in the game today and yep. kind of how it's eroding and some people say it should be in some people should say it should be out. And I'm just curious, you know, what, where are your thoughts on that as a guy who did it so often? Hey, it's part of the game and it's, if it was so bad and that they didn't, it would be, it would have been taken out. 
it would have been outlawed in the game by now because of, you know, all the changes that have been made along the way. If the NHL thought that it was so, so bad, it would have been gone. And the, the only problem is now the young kids coming in, they've never played that way coming up. They've never been taught how to play that way. They've never been shown, you know, when it might be a good time to maybe get in a fight and for momentum or sticking up for a teammate or something like that. So there's nights you sit there and you're like, hey, you know, this would be the time to do it. And then you sit back and you go, well, they have no idea, you know, you know, how to or when to or why to. And, and you know, in junior now and in, in Canadian junior, you're getting three fights, you're suspended. So kids don't want to have to do it because they don't want to get suspended because they want to continue, you know, to sell themselves. So, you know, and obviously college kids and that, it's, it's not part of the game that uh, is coached anymore it's not promoted anymore it's not taught anymore so you know it's just going to slowly change on its own uh some nights when you see fights it's like yeah okay it's still alive and i, I think the fight numbers this year especially are up from last year and yeah, that's a good are. thing and i think a lot of it has to do with uh you know playing the same team so much uh you know we're 16 17 games deep already and we've had one fight this year so far uh you know with our group but you know, so we're not really helping that number out much, but uh, I think it'll always, it'll always kind of be there because no matter what, there's going to be guys that even if it's, you know, a handful in the game that are still going to be willing to do it and can do it very well. And, and, you know, I just hope it never leaves, but I think it's, it's such an entertaining, entertaining aspect of the game that people love. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I know here in this town, you know, people get out of their seats for a big goal, big hit in a fight. You know, they they cheer for a goal. They cheer a little more for a big hit, and they go off the charts for a fight. So, you know, as a as a entertainment aspect, it's still there, and people appreciate it. I think a lot of the times you hear people say that they might not like the fighting from areas that are new to the game. You know, a lot of the areas that weren't haven't grown up watching it and what it was like in the seventies and eighties and early nineties, then, you know, they're, they're kind of questioning, does it have a role? A, because they're not educated on what it really can do for a game or a team. You talked a little bit about, you know, learning like these kids coming up now, they've not been taught, you know, what would be a good time to get into a fight for that process for you. You know, what was your learning process like? And in your opinion, what was the right time? Well, Rick Dudley, I don't know if you guys know who Rick Dudley is. He was the coach when I was here, uh, when I first came to play. He played very similar. He was a hard-nosed guy. He played here with the Sabres for a long time. Uh, very scrappy, but he respected it. He understood it. And he was the guy that kind of taught me, you know, you don't just go out to fight. You do it for a reason and, and proper times. And you have to know time in game, score, uh, situations, you know, do you have momentum? If you've got momentum in game and somebody's trying to change the momentum on the other team, they're coming. It's not the time. You 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 do it when it's your time, not their time. Um, you know, you always want to take a stand for a player, especially a star player in your team that is, you know, being mistreated on the ice. And you want to do that as early as possible to kind of send a message to the opposition that this is what's going to happen if you do it. And most of the times you could go out and do that in a game and it would instantly stop. The game would settle right down. A lot of the times games get chipped, you know, to hand. You just get in that one fight, it settles everything down. And it's just amazing what it did sometimes. And, 
And other times you did it just out of frustration that, you know, it was just trying to maybe send a message to the opposition or to your own group. I, I can remember getting in multiple fights because I realized our team was, they just didn't have the jump. They didn't have the spark. And we were kind of just going through the motions. You go out and do something like that and you do well, you have to do well in it. And it just seems like it would just jump starts the bench sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's, that was, there's so many different ways of using it uh, as a positive than, you know, than most people would even understand it. I'm curious, uh, you know, in the NHL scouting is such an important thing, um, especially just knowing your opponent uh, when it comes to fighting, you know, are you just kind of in this fight and, and you don't really care who it is or, or, or what their tendencies are, or do you actually have some idea of, okay, this guy's left-handed, so I got to watch for his left or this guy always goes for the, you know, the uppercut. I got to watch for that. Yeah. Do you have some kind of understanding of that or is it more just kind of launching yourself into it and figuring it out? Well, well, we didn't have the luxury of having replay and video and all that kind of thing. When, when I was coming up through, uh, it's kind of hard to rewind a VHS tape or beta tape, you know, that they used to use back in the day and you wouldn't even have access to it to, to be 100% truthful. So a lot of the time it was just from experience, you know, either watching them, you know, do it before actually doing it with them. Or a lot of the times I know we'd sit in the room before a game and you'd look to see who was in the lineup for the other team. If you, you saw somebody that you didn't recognize or you're unfamiliar with, it's like, Hey, anybody know, anybody know, you know what this guy's all about. We had a trainer uh, named Jim Pizzatelli. We used to call him pizza and he was, we called him the fight doctor. And he knew everybody. He knew everybody. And he always, he would go to the opposition's room and say, he'd walk up to whoever, you know, their tough guy and say, hey, Ray's over there telling everybody he's going to kick your ass. You know, and just things like that, just to get it going. And uh, you know, he was an idiot for that. And I hate him for it. No, I, I don't. <laughs> um, but he but he was a good resource, you know, right there. He he would know what guys, what they were all about and, and how they'd fight. So it was you know, just different ways or, you know, guys that have played with somebody before they kind of, but you quickly figure it out, you know, after a while, it's like, does he throw left or does he throw right? Or the second you drop your gloves, you're going to know if he's a lefty or righty already, if he's somebody new. And, you know, I, most of the time it wasn't, you worrying about what he was doing. You're worrying about what you were going to do in the fight. And then I'm, I'm, just going to fast forward a little bit because we would have you here for hours and hours if we went through uh, season by season. But fast forward a little bit, you know, you're in Buffalo. You guys had some solid teams throughout the 90s. And then in the late 90s, you guys had two really, really good seasons where you made some serious runs. Uh, in 97 and 98, you lost in the conference finals to the Washington Capitals, who eventually lost to the Detroit Red Wings in the Stanley Cup finals. What was your memory of that whole playoff run and playing against that Caps team? Well, you know, they were good. You know, Peter Bondra and those guys, they were, they were sick. And, you know, it was a good team. We, we were a team at that time that we weren't loaded with talent. Like we weren't, Hey, we got depth of offensive ability. You know, we mirrored the 10, you know, Michael Pecka was probably our, our best player all around on the team. Uh, you know, we had guys like Curtis Brown and Dixon Ward guys that were very strong defensively, good role players. We had a good goaltending with, with Hashik. Uh, so, all that together in our work ethic, it was, it's kind of what really made the difference in that group and still the same with the team that went the next year uh, to the finals in 99. 
you know, it was it was a very close team that you know we we would do anything for each other. We had once again great goaltending, but we really learned how to play with what we had. And Lindy Ruff was the coach then, and he he was very good at preparing us for going into games and knowing what to expect. So there was never any questions on what was going to happen in a game. We already knew, uh, you know, because of the preparation leading up. And I think in a lot of cases, and say in those two years, it was just we had such a desire to to be something. Uh, and like I said, it wasn't because we were had a ton of talent, but we worked hard. And teams hated playing against us because we had guys that could play strong defensively. We had guys that would run you through the wall. We had a great goaltender. Team D, we played very sound. If we did take penalties, our penalty killing was off the charts. And our, and our power play, especially in the playoffs, was was very good for us as well. Absolutely. And then I, I kind of have to ask, but I hate to bring it up, is that 99 Cup final. I mean, obviously you guys fell a little bit yeah. short. Like you said, you had a great team. You had a great season. Just talk about the experience of, you know, how different playing in the Cup finals is compared to the rest of your career. I'm sure that was the most fun you've had. Well, it's it was it was the ultimate pinnacle. You know, you you, you play your whole life to to be able to play for a Stanley Cup, and you know until you get there and get that chance, you really don't even know what it's all about. And I can remember beating Toronto in the conference final in Toronto to go to the Cup, and the bus ride home from Toronto is two hour ride. It was the greatest two hours of your life because you're you're here you are in a bus with just the players, the coaches, and everybody immediately responsible for doing what we just accomplished. And it was the greatest feeling ever. Um, you know, the atmosphere, everything was just off the charts. It was kind of a atmosphere wise, it was kind of a letdown when you got to the finals because Dallas was they were a great team, but the 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 atmosphere around the city wasn't like what we just experienced with Buffalo and Toronto going head to head. You know, that was craziness off the charts. Like we had people in the parking lots the day before party and can't wait till the game starts. And it was just <laughs> like a zoo down there. And it was amazing there and here. It was, it was off the charts, the experience. So it was a little bit of a letdown when you got there, but you know, once again, our, our guys played really well, you know, a break here and there, you know, we sit there and do you, Say you got robbed a little bit because of, you know the foot in the crease. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's it whatever. You know, you sit there and you're gonna dwell on that the rest of your life. You're, you know, you just let it go. Um, uh, you know, I think that we we walked away from that pretty darn proud of what we we accomplished. And you know, you fell short, but at least uh you were able to get there to to give it a shot. I have to ask about Hashik, because and we did yeah. an episode about this back way back when, but you know, arguably just like the most dominant stretch an NHL goaltenders ever had from the late nineties to early two thousands. Like, what was it like witnessing that as his teammate? Well, Dom was a pretty special guy on and off the ice. Okay. Like this guy, <laughs> you just, he was special and you know, everybody knew it. We all understood it. And, you know, he was such a competitor though. Like he was, he, he was so good that in practice, if he was not, you know, uh, content with what he did in the practice, he'd keep you out there forever till he was okay. I'm good now. I'm going to move on. He he just did his own thing so much that you just kind of, you know, just let him do it and kept an eye on him to make sure he was okay. But he 
he was such a competitor and, and his preparation for games was off the charts and more mentally, I think, than physically, because he wasn't a big guy. He was just a scrawny little, little man, but the whole using the angles and, you know, manipulating your equipment to, you know, cover holes and fill holes. And he always, always was messing with that kind of thing and, and trying to come up with something that was going to give him the advantage. But, you know, he just never gave up. He never gave up on a puck. You know, it didn't matter, you know, what happened or what was going He would arms, legs, everything would be going head, whatever that, uh, you know, there was no give up on, on a, any type of play in front of the net or a shot. And, but, you know, you just, you, you walk away and, and, and we played very strong in front of him. So there are nights when, you know, he was getting less than 20 shots. And if you're going to give Dom Hashik 20 shots, he's going to stop him. And, and I think that was the big reason too, why we, uh, you had success at that because, you know, you'd, if you did make a mistake, you knew Dom was there. If you were going to go take a chance in a game, like jump up, you knew that if something bad happened, you know, he was going to probably stop the first one. And as long as you could get back there to help him out on the second one, you'd be, you'd be okay. And then uh, after your stint in Buffalo, a couple seasons in Ottawa, and we're probably showing our age here and I apologize, but some of the names on this list um, are just, you know, guys that we grew up kind of watching yeah. and seeing and, you know, Heatley, Alfredson, Hosa, Chara, Spezza. I mean, those names are just incredible to hear that you played with. Yeah. Name. Yeah. You know, John Muckler was a general manager there at the time. And, and I had dealt with Mux here. He was a general manager coach here as well and had a good relationship with him. I was pretty much, I knew I was, you know, winding it down. And our team was not making the playoffs that year. Uh, Lindy had asked me during the year, he said, if, if we could make the arrangements for you to go somewhere that, you know, you know, would you be willing to do it? And I'm like, yeah, you know, why not, you know, give it another shot and see. And when it happened, it was, it was kind of devastating. And then it was like, you know what, I'm going to see something else. I had been here for so long that, you know, I, in my thoughts and opinions and views, this is what the NHL was all about. So when I got a chance to go somewhere else, you're seeing another side, uh, you know, you appreciated what they did there. It was, it was a top notch organization at the time. And, uh, you know, you got to see the other side. As you said, I got to play with some really, really good players, man. It was like I went to practice there, and you, you just kind of, okay, I don't want to touch the puck because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of all you guys. But they were great. They were they were such a good group, and, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Fell short that year. Um, but, you know, the great thing is I, I finished off that year, wasn't planning. That was the lockout, wasn't planning, or and then wasn't planning on going back. And I started doing the television or no, that, that wasn't the lockout. It was the after. So I went back and I, I was thinking about playing. I wasn't thinking about playing, but I had the offer to go and do the TV here. So I did it. And uh, so I never played till trading deadline. A couple of days before the trading deadline, I was in Bahamas with my wife. Like we're sitting on the beach, you know, drinking, having a good time. And I get the phone call and it's like, what kind of shape are you in? And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm fat, I'm overweight. And I'm like, I'm in great shape. You know, what do you need? <laughs> he goes, I need you here tomorrow. And I'm like, tomorrow? So it was literally, I'm sitting on a beach. You run to the room, you pack up. You had to get a flight from there, back home, get in my truck from here, drive all the way to Ottawa. It was about a five-hour drive. You get there early, early in the morning. And I hadn't skated. I hadn't skated in nine months. And I... Got to Ottawa that day, skated with the team. He goes, 
looks like you're ready to go. And I'm like, ready to go. And I'm like, <laughs> they were, they were playing that night. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, he goes, no, you're going to, you're going to play in Syracuse tonight with Binghamton. I'm like, Syracuse, you never said anything about, you know, going to, he's good. You need to go down and just play a couple games and then come back. First night, you know, you drive down there. I'm already dead because of what I had to go through in the last 24 hours to get home. Got my very first shift is there was a guy named Sugden. You remember that guy that used to, he played in Syracuse, big bastard. Line up with him the very first shift. And he's like, are we going to go? And I'm like, dude, I haven't skated nine months. Can you let me just warm up for a while? And then maybe <laughs> later on puck drops. He's like, nope. And we went at it. And like, for the life of me, I'm like, I'm not going down. I'm not going down. I'm not going to fall. No. And I just, I was dead. And, uh, you know, went to the felony box and it was like, what did I get myself into here? So spent a few days down there and then went back up and finished the season in uh, Ottawa and then just started the TV the next year. Wow. It's a hell of a story. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot happened and I could continue with that, you know, for that whole kind of week I spent there, but it was a great experience. I hadn't been in the minors since 88 and you're finally going back, you know, 15 years later and, and getting a chance to see the, some, you know, the way it is. And it was cool just being around the younger guys all the time. They asked a million questions. They were so excited to, you know, you know, ask and see what it was all about, you know, at the NHL level. And, it was a great experience. I, and I would do it all over again. What was the transition like to broadcasting for you? Did you find that challenging or was it pretty seamless? No, it was challenging because like I said, I got the call like a day before the season was going to start from the guy that was running the team at the time. And he says, are you interested in doing it? I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And you walk down and the night of the game, you walked in and it's like, okay, what do you want me to do? We'll sit down and they put a microphone on you. And it was like less than three minutes later, you're on the air. And I'm like, no instruction, no nothing. And I was working with Danny Garrett at the time. And uh, he says, just, just follow my lead. Just follow my lead and answer the questions when I ask them. Like, okay. So that was, what, in 04? And still to this day, I've never been given any instructions on really what my job is really all about. I <laughs> kind of just figured it out along the way. And, you know, some nights it's good, some nights it's bad. It's just like, okay, you know, but that's just the way it is. It's, it, yeah. You kind of get used to it after a while. And, you know, at the beginning, you were just kind of doing the desk work. And then when Harry Neal retired, uh, Rick Jenneret, uh, our legendary announcer, was like, hey, I'll keep doing this job if you take the color job and do it with me. And that's kind of in a tough situation. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Figuring he was only going to be around for a couple more years. That was 10 years ago, and we're still going. So wow. anyway, it was great. It was, you know, you, you just sit there and you talk about hockey. And, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You you travel with the team everything's great i don't have to worry about practice i don't have to worry about being in shape i just eat and drink whatever i want and and uh go to work and you know, it was, it's fantastic it's the best job ever that That's sounds the, amazing it's the dream rick's been one of the legendary voices across the game of hockey uh, oh sick yeah. just brings the game to life what's it been like to work uh, alongside him at the beginning very nervy because you know if you made a mistake he would he would give it to you like to hammer you and it was like oh so you're always kind of on pins and needles for the first little while eventually i'm like hey he's just a grumpy old man and he's you know but we're bad like we talk every day and you know texting all the time so for he's a 78 year old man that you know i'm sitting there and you're hanging out with and you know every on the road you'd be with him all the time and he's a he's just a super generous great guy and his voice is 
second to none here. It's amazing how people love this guy here. Like people love this guy. And, you know, and now he's getting to the point where it's winding down and, you know, it's, it's, it's different some nights uh, and, and the game has changed and the names have changed that it's a little harder at times, but people don't care. They just, they just want to hear this guy and it's amazing. And, and he is all, he keeps saying to me, he goes, I, I owe it to the people. I owe it to the people to keep working. So it's not him doing it because he thinks he wants to. It's because he knows the people enjoy it and he wants to just keep giving it to them. A couple of just general questions. So I have to ask about the Rob Ray rule because you have a rule, yeah. you, which is kind of awesome. Not many people can say that. Yeah, I know. Is um, it? Is it awesome? No, it is awesome. Prom- I see, how awesome it, see how awesome it is when you're coaching kids. I coach my son, he's 12, so I've coached them all the way up through, and they, they look at me like I'm some crazed madman, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but coach, you did this. I'm like, yeah, the coach did it. You're not doing it, okay? Don't do as I do. Do as I say, okay? So, you know, earlier when they were younger, they were kind of hesitant. Now they're at the age where they'll say and do whatever they want, and, uh, you know, so it's always kind of a battle. So what kind of, like, is there a memory that you have that, let, like, where the league kind of, like, talk to him was like hey rob like we're gonna make this rule and it's called the rob ray rule like and this is what it is do you have any like how did that all no it, it, you know it just kind of happened it just kind of happened okay. one summer you know when they go in and change the rules and i there would have been talk for a couple of years how players and management team of teams were complaining that jerseys were coming off uh that it you know it wasn't right it was unfair and all this kind of crap and you know eventually a bang it just happened so it went from you know wearing hardly any equipment, oversized jersey, you know, no T-shirt underneath. Uh, you know, when when the rule came in, I started off with just the tie-down, realizing that, you know, they could still get the front of the jersey up, so it, it, it wasn't working that right. So I had a snap on the front of my shirt. I had a snap on the back of the shirt. So it was so tight, they couldn't do anything with it. But by that time in your career, you were so comfortable doing it. And the, the type of player that you were fighting was changing and changing quick that, you know, you had so much confidence going into it. It didn't matter what you had on or if you had to keep the jersey on anymore. It was, uh, you know, in most cases, you had the advantage on them from experience and, and in their heads because they were going crazy, not knowing what to do. And so did it make a big change with me? No. At the time, it was kind of like, hey, what the hell? What's like, what's the big deal? But, uh, you know, over time, they wouldn't have had to worry about it anyways because it doesn't happen anymore. But it is cool to have your name. I wish it was actually in the book saying <laughs> instead of some stupid number beside it. Does any uh, <laughs> does any one or couple of guys stand out as being like your your toughest fighting po- opponents or anything? Uh, You've fought a lot of legends in your your day. Uh, list a mile know. long, man. Well, yeah. Ty and I fought like thirteen times, I think, in the NHL, and it was great. <laughs> you know, and now Bob we're friends, Prober. and it's like. Like what the hell we did? What were we doing? You know, and it was it was uh, we actually sat down not this past summer, last summer for our anniversary uh, for our fiftieth year. We took the jumbotron, dropped it down to, onto the ice. We're sitting there on a in on a couch on the ice watching all thirteen. So we talk about it before we went in and talk about it during and after, and it was awesome. Uh, it was a, a special they did here. But you know, back then you got in a fight, you knew that it was going to be you know, a, a, a marathon, you know, fights now they're quick, bang, throw a few punches and they fall the ice. But if you grabbed onto Dave Brown or, 
or uh, Jay Miller or Marty McSorley or any of these kind of guys, man, you knew that you were going to go for two, three minutes. Like you better be buckled in and ready to go. And endurance was a big part of it because these guys were, were very good at what they did. Um, but it's, you know, it, there's so, there was so many guys out there that were so tough and, and did it for so long. And, you know, to sit there and say, who's the toughest and that, I'll tell you what, the guy that hit the hardest was Joe Kosher. Joe Kosher would hit you and it was like, he'd knock your head off your shoulders. So you'd have to know that you, he hit me so hard one night in the eye. And I think by the time his hand left my eye, it was already shut. And you know, here you are, you're trying to fight with one eye, but he just, he hit with a ton of bricks. There was some guys you'd fight that you could throw punches, you know, a thousand times and they're never going to hurt you. You know, Mick Bacota was a guy that threw a ton of punches, you know, but they would, they, did they hurt? Yeah, they hurt, but they weren't going to knock you out. So you knew you could stand in there. And then there was other guys you knew when they punched, they were going to, they were going to do some damage. So you had to be, you know, a little more careful and not leave yourself wide open and get in that, you know, back and forth brawl with. Nick, were you going to ask something? I was going to ask, like, what was your sort of technique or style that you preferred to fight against? Cause like you look at guys like Tony twist and then a guy like Joe Kosher, they're not exactly doing the same thing. Is there a style that you like to match up against or were you sort of, you know, let's just get this over with and give me your best. No, Well, like I said, the Tony twist is the other guy. Now Tony twist hit me so hard right here in the eye one night from the side to push my eyeball in through an orbital bone, the whole side of my face filled full of air. And, you know, for nine days, my eye was shut because the, the air had gone into my face and I had to wait for that air to filter out. And, yeah, I was – so those guys, you, you had to be a little more defensive. You got in tighter on those kind of guys. You couldn't stand out and just throw. You had to get in tight and you had to, you know, jab and do whatever you can, get them up against the wall. And then there's other guys that if they had real long arm spans like Peter Worrell and Jim Kite and these kind of guys, their arms were so long that they could just hold Joe, John, Donald Brashear. So you had to get them against the walls. You couldn't fight those guys in the middle of the ice because they just hang you out and you could swing all day long and you'd, you know, only get six inches from their face. You'd never touch them. So different guys, you had to use different strategies, but in most cases it was just lock in and, and let her go. And, uh, you know, just keeping, it was all about your balance. Balance is the whole thing. You guys that are successful or that were successful at it had great balance. And you could take a couple punches off the first. You know, take a couple, get set. You know, he may go and, you know, he throw four or five real quick ones. And a lot of times guys would do that. And then they'd all of a sudden hit a wall and they'd get tired. And that's when you started going at them and, uh, you know, and take advantage of them that way. So just, you know, different guys, you, you did it in different ways. And, and some guys who respected their, their punching power more than others. And, but it was, yeah, it was, you had to know what you're, you couldn't just go into it half cock and not thinking you had to, you, you, you thought your way through a lot of these fights, uh, you know, whether you switch hands at a time, you know, do I get my arm out here? Can I come up underneath here? Uh, so there was, it was, you were dialed into it when you were doing it. And, and a lot of the times when you could get in that fight and you're just throwing a hundred punches, just going, 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 seeing who was going to be the, the last man standing was the best because there was no thinking there. It was just hang on and let her go. <laughs> uh, my, my last question for you. Um, I, I'm just curious. Are you able to kind of recall the experience of what went down in Quebec and how crazy that was? With oh, the God. On the ice? If it, was a five on, 
No, I'm allowed to. Okay. Uh, legal, legal, it's over now. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> there was a five-on-five fight on the ice. Herb Ragland had hit uh, Clint Malarchuk, who was our goalie. And there was a five-on-five fight out there. And uh, we're on the – I wasn't out there. I was on the bench. And as we're up standing watching and seeing what's going on, this guy had climbed up on the glass behind the bench. And somebody would say, hey, you know, and John Muckler, I can remember him, and I got a great picture of it. I'll get him. And he grabbed Kenny Sutton's stick and he was going to poke him back over the glass and push him in. But at that second, he jumped into the bench and I had worked my way down to where he was going to jump. And I got a hold of him and I threw, we threw him onto the ice, just in the bench, shoom, onto the ice. He jumps up off the ice, comes right back at me. I had him by the hair in my left hand. His head was on the boards. I'm hitting him. I think it was 17 or 18 times. And I stopped because my hand got sore. And by that time, the cops were jumping on him. They had got on the ice and they're jumping on him. And I literally, when I opened up my left hand, I had a ball of hair, black hair in my hand that I pulled out of his head and hit him that many times. And the cops wrestle him. They get him the ice. They get him off the ice. All of a sudden, you look out. There's bullets laying on the ice. They had fallen out of the police officer's belts at that time. They got the guy down the hall. They come out and they pick all this stuff up off the ice. And play resumed. And it was over. <laughs> it oh was it. God. That was it. The the referees gave that. penalties to the guys that were on the ice. They got the, the knucklehead off the ice, and we just started the game. And you you look down the bench, and you look oh. at the Quebec team, and they're, like, literally just sitting there going, what the hell just happened over <laughs> there? Because they had nothing to do with it. Man. They didn't really know what happened. And But come to find out, this guy did an interview afterwards. And he was he was he climbed up on the glass in protest of the violence in the game because of what was happening on the ice. He was on the glass in a protest of the the fighting that was going on in the game. In turn, he created this whole match. <laughs> yeah, that went well. Uh, yeah, that that yeah. didn't go great. <laughs> yeah, no. Jesus. Wow, what a story. Um, so, Nick, Mac, do you guys have any other questions? I kind of kept them from us an hour, so we don't want to take up too much of your time. What have you thought of the Sabres so far this season? What, you know, what do you think the direction that this team is going in and what are some of the things you like about the core group they have now? Well, they, they've got some good young kids here and, and it's going to take some time for them all to come. And, you know, Jack's off to a little bit of a rough start, but Sam Reinhardt looks really good. Uh, you know, Taylor Hall is starting to get his legs under him now and, and get things going. But you know, you've got some pretty good depth of players here on this team. Uh, you know, Darlene's, you know, slowly coming into his own. Venus Allmark has been, you know, lights out when he's played in net uh, this year. So there's a lot of positive. Dylan Cousins is, is I love this kid. You know, he's played, you know, 10 games awesome. for us. And I, he might be my favorite player in the NHL right now because of the way he plays. So, you know, it's slowly coming together. They really got hit there with that COVID thing. And, and Risto is, is, was the one hit the hardest. And hopefully he's back here uh, probably tomorrow against the Flyers. So that is going to be a big help. But, you know, I think just overall, just they made so many changes over the summer. It's just going to take some time for them to come in. The unfortunate thing is, you know, the shortened season, playing so many games and dealing what they've had to deal with, uh, they're, they're, they're in a tough spot. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a battle all the way to the end to see if they can, you know, get themselves in a, in a playoff position. It would be great. We haven't been there in 10 years. But uh, I think overall, just the, the chemistry of the team and the way they're they're building it right now and bringing in stall was a very big move because he is uh, he's a great teacher. And he, and we talk about Dylan cousins, this guy has taken him under the arm and 
and totally, totally teaching this kid, you know, what the NHL is all about, how to play. And, you know, he's benefited from it. So, hey, you got good nights. You got some tough nights. But for the most part, uh, they'll be competitive. And, you know, hopefully at the end, you're at least in a position where you're challenging for a spot. Sure. Cool. I think I'm all good. Uh, we just want to thank you, Rob, for taking your time out of your busy day to talk with us. It was a lot of fun. Not a problem. It was not so busy. I drank a pot of coffee this morning, uh, you know, <laughs> took a few notes, listened to a couple of Zoom calls from the coaches for the game tomorrow. You know, that's my life now. I do have to say that's got to be the most impressive stick collection I've ever seen behind yeah. you. Are there any ones uh, in there that stand out? Well, I got just about everybody. I'll try to pick it up and see if I can. Look at there. Oh, they wow. don't stop. Wow. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. So there's, wow. there's a lot. We have a lot. So I collected them over the years. And I've actually had guys call me uh, that I played with that never really kept anything of theirs. And, and I give them back to them, you know, over the years. But oh, that's pretty there's cool. probably 500 sticks here. You know, all the guys that, you know, and I collect them now for my son. Uh, you know, he's 12 and he's into it. So all the, the modern day guys, uh, you know, I get those for him and he's got a whole whack of those in his bedroom, but you know, from, you know, Messier, Gretzky to, you know, Gila, Fleur, you name it, it's in there. So it's wow. neat, but the problem is, what do you do with it? <laughs> Show it off you on podcast. Right. <laughs> what do you do with it? So. <laughs> well, uh, we really do appreciate you taking the time. This was awesome for us. Yeah. Thank you so no much. No problem guys. No problem at all. Good luck to you. Big thanks to Rob for sitting down and chatting with us. Uh, I could have done that for like four hours. That was so many questions I wanted to ask, but I didn't I want know to, I didn't want to kill him with time and stuff. Yeah. So, so we really appreciate that. We hope you guys enjoyed that. That one was a ton of fun for us and just so cool to talk to a guy who's had, you know, all that experience like he has. Definitely a uh, big thanks for Rob taking time out of a, one of his few off days. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier, he's the caller commentator for, uh the sabers now so obviously you know not a lot of days off this season in the nhl but he was kind enough to uh give us time on one of them so thanks yeah. a lot rob the sabers might have taken some days off but not rob <laughs> yeah um, i wanted to go more into like current sabers talk but i didn't want to get depressing yeah um i also didn't want to hammer away on like the 1999 talk because i figured probably not a good subject to to talk about probably a yeah. sore spot so I would think so. Yeah. Uh, but before we move on, we just want to remind everyone that this portion of the episode is brought to you by the Maryland Mortgage Wiz. Are you planning on buying your first home this year? Get pre-approved and explore all financing options with Dave Fritz, the Mortgage Wiz. Interest rates are at a historic low and down payment assistance programs are available. Stop renting and put your money in a place that you can call home. Follow Dave on Instagram at Maryland underscore mortgage underscore whiz for more information. Dave is licensed in Maryland, Delaware, and Florida. Equal housing lender NMLS number 3094. Alrighty. Nice. Yeah, let's bounce into the gambling aspect of the podcast. Like we mentioned at the beginning, we have moved everything uh, pretty much over to Book It Sports. So download the app takes five seconds give us a follow we'll interact with you guys on there you can see what we're doing in real time it just it really brings this whole sports gambling thing into the year 2021 so uh you gotta love it also twitter we're, we're constantly posting our picks from book at sports to twitter if you have any comments suggestions questions you know obviously respond we'll, we'll get right back to you so 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, how'd you guys do last week? I think I had a pretty tough week. I had a tough week. <laughs> I actually did okay. I uh, at least my published picks. I got two out of three. The only one I missed was that over in the Hawks Bolts game. I think I missed it by one goal. So um, for once, I did okay on the published picks. But I actually had myself a pretty decent week on uh, some personal picks as well. So nice. I'm hoping, hoping to keep it going. I went one and two on the published ones. Did probably a lot worse than that on the personal ones. Uh, <laughs> Oilers couldn't get the puck line sealed over the Flames. That was a 3-2 game when McDavid just absolutely ripped an overtime winner off the post. And then Leafs-Canucks over. Don't know what happened there. Uh, the Canucks have won three straight, and the Leafs have looked horrible since they absolutely demolished the Oilers last week. They lost both games to the Canucks, I believe. So This is my problem with that North division is yeah. – all those teams are so inconsistent and Super I feel like streaky. everyone's like the Leafs are the best, most complete team in the league. And I'm like, yeah, maybe on paper, but they haven't played like a full and complete team multiple times yet. They have issues for sure. Yeah. I do think they're really good though. I think they're I, really good too. I, I might actually, like I was listening to the, the Merrick interview today and I was thinking about when playoffs start and how we do our bracket challenge and stuff. And I was like, am I going to pick the Leafs to win the Stanley cup? Am I actually going to be that guy? And I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Did you do that last year? No, I, who did I pick? Well, we did our, we did our, at the beginning of the season picks and then we did our start of the playoff picks. I think I, I think at the start of the year I had, um, I think I had Caps Vegas. Okay. Oh, that's right. You did. I thought you had a Leafs prop, like prop bet to win the. After they fired Babcock, I was like, that's right. Little little $10 dabble (laughs) just to see, you know, a little mid season coach firing. (laughs) A little Mike Sullivan, Craig Berube action, you know, yeah, something, yeah. something like that. Um, so to replace like the picks that we publish, we're going to just basically talk about trends that we've kind of seen over the past week. Uh, one that I think stands out is when McDavid went three straight games against the Leafs without a point, you had to know that the first game against the Flames, after he went three scoreless, he was going to erupt. Uh, to that point, he had never gone three scoreless. He had never gone more than three games without a point in his career. Uh, we hammered that one and a half over points on Saturday night against Calgary, and that was a lock. Easy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, the Leafs are a mystery. That's our next one. You got to lay a lot of juice for their money lines, especially right now with their record. Vegas is obviously going to take that into consideration more than anything. I don't know how you beat the Oilers three times in a row, two of which you didn't have your star player, Matthews, and then you lose to Vancouver twice in a row when you have your star player and they're missing theirs in Elias Patterson. I think I'm going to – like I just can't justify betting their money line anymore. The value isn't there, and it's just wildly inconsistent. You just never know what you're going to get. If anything, you can toss a Leafs money line onto like a two- or three-way parlay to soften the value yeah. blow a little bit. But, again, you never really know what you're going to get with some of these Canadian teams. So, even be careful there. So, what I will say leading into our next point with Mac talking about parlays on this podcast <laughs> – I want to I want to publicly say this. <laughs> what we need to do is we need to like issue a statement on Twitter with like a dash Nick or dash Mac or dash Harrison because if there's a parlay and Mac gives it out, people need to know because Mac is the king of the parlay. He is. If Nick gives a live bet on Twitter, Nick is the king of the live bet. I don't think Nick, Nick has lost like maybe two live bets in his life and he hits these like wild. I had a four. really good one. 
the other week, yeah. and you're not gonna like it. Uh, was it the pens when they fucked? <laughs> I up? bet on the Flyers when yeah, they went down three. I don't, I don't, I don't blame that. you. I don't blame. Yeah. They were up three nothing in the first four minutes. I was like, all right, that's that's probably they have so much time to come back. Yeah. Um, you also had that Caps one earlier in the season when we rallied against. I the did. Islanders. Yep. Yeah. So we need to start publishing like who's saying these things, and I'm just the king of the mush because I suck at gambling. My uh, thing with live bets, though, and yeah, you can call me selfish for this is I'm very superstitious about like telling people if I live bet the game, you're going to have to lose that superstition. I know it's, I don't know why, but <laughs> everything gets, no, I get that. Here. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to like put like some like bad juju over oh, this. I feel you. I feel yeah. you. On that. you just got to run it. Yeah. Um, the Panthers, they still seem to hit the over relatively consistently. Uh, Four of their last five games have hit the over, one of which was actually a push. So it's really three of their last five. But the Panthers are a high-flying team. If Bob is in net, I mean, he's struggled at times. He's kind of a wild card. Dreger's look good. So kind of pay attention to who's starting. If Bob's in, it's probably more likely to hit. Uh, Speaking of goalies who are starting, I love the Marc-Andre Fleury unders right now. He is playing lights out hockey. He has the most shutouts in the league. It's more than likely you're going to hit that under if the other team can't score. Uh, what'd you do, Mac? I'm just celebrating because he's been the most valuable fantasy player possibly in the entire <laughs> league so far. Did you draft him or did you scoop him up? I drafted him. Yeah, you're a smart man. Uh, but yeah, you got to be on the lookout for when Flurry's in net. If he is, I would definitely be taking those unders, assuming they're at six. Five and a half gives me a little anxiety, but I'll take six. They have a good defense core in front of them, though, so... Yeah, exactly. Depends on who they're playing. Yes. Uh, The Islanders, they basically just slapped the Sabres three games in a row. Every game was five to two. And that's really the that's it. That time is a flat circle thing. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. So, so with that, I think uh, based on um, uh, where did I see it? Odd Shark. Uh, The Islanders are the. Third most profitable puck line team in the league after those three games. So I would keep an eye on the Islanders when they're playing against shit competition because they don't seem to be falling for trap games. They just shit pump teams. So they're a great uh, team to do like the puck line money line combo on because they win. We, one, we t- yeah. Yeah. We talked about this last year. It's like they're great to bet on because the value is usually not there like a Toronto team is. So your return on investment's a little bit better. They're not the most, you know, prolific scoring team. They don't typically go out and, you know, put up six or seven on opponents. So that's why we weren't totally sold on the puck line last year because they won so many one goal games. But combining those two is a great way to, you know, either win a lot more money or if just the money line hits and you go only half on the puck line, you're um, you're coming out, you know, up a little bit or just about even. So or you at least pay for the one that you lost. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Montreal, they kind of suck. Uh, they do not look good lately. I would, some would say that they are the most overrated team in the league. As of right now, they struggled against the jets and they blew it against Vancouver last night. That game made me so angry. It was one, nothing Habs with like 40, uh, maybe 45 seconds. Yeah. And then Vancouver tied it and then they won it in a shootout. And I had them in the parlay that would have hit if they just won the game. 
I also was pissed because I also have Carey Price on my team, and I was like, oh, come on, give me this shutout. If, if he would have won that game one to nothing, he would have earned me somewhere around like 12 or 13 points. Wow. Um, instead, he loses in a shootout. He gets me two points. He's struggling right now. He's not looking too hot. Their whole team is, and I feel like we need to talk about this. So they they obviously they fired their coach. They fire Claude Julian, promote Dominic Ducharme in the meantime. The whole idea that Montreal's coach has to be French speaking <laughs> is a little bit ridiculous to me now. What given do you guys think age, about this? Given the age we're in, where you know you would think that kind of like went by the wayside at this point. That, or you're just like you should be hiring the best coach available, not the yeah. best coach that also happens to speak French. Well, is it just because of like he needs to be able to talk to the media? Is that the main? I think that's a big part like of it. Players are like, yeah, and like when we had Zach on, Zach was like, you know, they're always yelling like, "Hey, English in the locker room." Right, right. Um, so. I don't know what the deal is there. I don't know if it's. I agree with you. I think it's. I think it's stupid to. I just like why would you on anything except who is the best coach? You're right. Like let's say that out of available coaches, the French speaking one is the fourth best. Why would you take away three better options for you? Then I don't know. I don't get it. I'm obviously not from Quebec, so I can't understand that. But it just it just just seems a little (laughs) bit different. Um, then like, you know, the caps just going out over the summer and getting lobby big note here. Um, in their last 10 games, they have five shootout slash overtime losses. So basically not basically essentially half of their losses in the last 10 games have come in extra time. For those of you who are dedicated gamblers, you can bet games to go to overtime. You go to your NHL three-way section, and that's where you bet teams to win in regulation, or you bet to go to overtime. If you bet the game to go to overtime, you're looking at a minimum plus 275, plus 300 A lot of games are plus like 300 flat right off the start. Seen some like plus 600 if it's like the Leafs playing like – The Senators. Senators, exactly, yeah. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, uh, just a side note on that. Montreal is also winless in OT specifically. I think they may have a shootout, a shootout win or two, but they have yet to win a game in overtime. Interesting. So, yeah, that, that basically does it for uh, the trends that we think you guys should keep an eye on for this coming week. Uh, we're going to move it on to the first liner versus fourth liner. Nick, I'll let you go first. So my first liner is going to be Nick Backstrom leading the caps with 27 points and he's averaging 1.13 points per game. That's a career year for Nick. Gotta love it. And thank God someone's driving the boat there. Uh, My fourth liner is going to be Jake DeBrusque, uh, not doing the whole caps Bruins thing on purpose. This was just a coincidence. Uh, He's got one goal in 17 games after scoring 27 last year, which was his career best. And he was actually a healthy scratch against the Islanders. I believe that game is this evening. And Bruce Cassidy came out and said that we're just not getting what we expected out of a player like him. So uh, definitely something to keep your eye on. But yeah. Scratch a is a good move. Sometimes I can wake a guy up a little bit. Yeah. Caps used to do that with Burakovsky all the time. He'd come back and score like three goals in three games or something like that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for my first liner, I'm going to have Marc-Andre Fleury. I talked about it just now, but he is the best goaltender in the NHL so far this season, in my opinion. 
He earned his 21st shutout Saturday night against San Jose in his 170th career start with the Vegas Golden Knights. 12% of his starts since joining the Knights have resulted in a shutout. That's pretty good. Pretty good, I think. So uh, he is third in the NHL in goals against, third in the NHL in save percentage, and first in the NHL in shutouts with four so far this year. Uh, talking about former goalies of teams that we like, my fourth liner is going to be Braden Holpe. Uh, it seems that Thatcher Demko has stolen the spotlight in Vancouver, and he's kind of been starting most of the games. He's 3-1 and one in his last four, so I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, we heard some Caps fans bashing Holpe a little bit, not you guys, but some others were like, ah, he's been figured out, all this stuff. I still thought he was a great goaltender, but – uh, that North division is just an offensive powerhouse. So uh, maybe it's exposing some things. He's definitely still a starter in my opinion. Okay. I think so too. I think that he perhaps just needs some time to find uh, his, his comfortability level. I think we saw him getting really frustrated early on in this season. If you remember that, that glare that he shot over to the Canucks bench after that, like terrible giveaway against the Leafs. Um yeah. Yeah. He was not having a good time and it was pretty obvious. So, uh, you know, maybe they figure, all right, let's, let's sit this guy for a little while. Let's ride the hot hand with Demko. I don't think we've seen, you know, I don't think Holpe's just going to bubble out from here or anything like that. I think he'll probably go on a little bit of a run at some point later this season um, and get back in there. Demko's hot streak is bound to come to an end. Um, the way Vancouver should look at it is they have two pretty good goalies. So. Seriously. Also worth noting that now the Canadians are fourth in the division and the Canucks are fifth. So that preseason pick thing that where you two ganged up on me and said the Habs are good. And I said, nah, I think it's the Canucks. We're going to find out real soon. Yeah. So I called them a quarantine team. We'll see. You did. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So my first liner, this is, this gives me so much joy to say this. My first liner, not my fourth liner, but my first liner is Miro Heiskanen. He has two goals and two assists in the last seven days. Um, not exactly sure how many games that was, but I want to say it's like three or four. Um, but yeah, he, he seems to have found his game a little bit more. Hopefully he continues this. Hopefully we're not about to go in another little drought. Um but yeah, it was good to see him get that first goal and then like a game or two later get a second one. He keeps he's got decent assist numbers. I mean, even before he scored a goal, he had like 10 assists or something like that. So I think he probably has like two goals and like 14 assists or some somewhere around there. But anyway, I've liked his game recently and I'm glad to see him get it going a little bit. Fourth liner, Evgeny Kuznetsov sucks. Trade him. He sucks. Here's the thing. He's got a no movement clause. I'm pretty I sure. Know. Ian um, but, Olin vibes. Yeah. But I think that's only, um, I think that's only a no movement clause to like a certain number of teams. Mm-hmm. And then like after a couple of years, it becomes even less teams and less yep. teams, something like that. But I think as of now, there's probably like, I want to say there's like 15 teams that like you can't move them to or something like that. But yeah, they find need one to of do them something. that you can. Seriously, and, uh, please. Is Nashville one of them? Because I would like Philip Forsberg. <laughs> or is Chicago one of them? Because I would even take Dominic Kubalik, to be honest, which I hear that the Hawks are looking to move him and clear up some cap space. I think he'd actually be a really good fit in Washington. So Wait, seriously? Yeah, uh, I, it was just a rumor, but I heard that 
Um, they great. are going to be looking to shop him around at least a little bit and see what they might be able to get. They look decent so far. And Doc, Kirby Doc is apparently He's skating his- again. He's and probably Patrick, not far, yeah. And Patrick Kane, holy shit. I mean, yeah. what more can you say? Uh, so market report up next. Nick, let you go first. The Islanders are my trending up team. No surprise there. They've won their last five, and they've taken over that top spot in the East, which was separated by, I think, literally like a point the yeah. last time we spoke, and now they've taken sole possession of it. And then my down team is going to be Colorado. So they've only lost two in a row, but they're really hanging on to that fourth like bubble spot in the West by literally a point. Like if Arizona wins and Colorado drops a game, they're flipping. So um, they're definitely not where they want to be. They're not where everyone expected them to be, which was, you know, just running through that division with the exception of Vegas. But yeah, uh, it's not good for them. Now, I think I had them as my down team last week, so I can I can understand where you're coming from. Uh, for my up team, the Carolina Hurricanes, they're riding a five-game winning streak at the moment. I have them as part of my parlay tonight, so please, God, make it six. Uh, they're seven and three in their last ten. They're second place in the Central, right behind Tampa. They're chasing them. Uh, they are hot, and Rod Brindamore has them clicking on all cylinders, so – we knew they were going to be good. Uh, I didn't know that they were going to be this good, but they definitely look like a serious cup threat thus far this season. Also, strange note, did any of us have the Islanders making the playoffs in our preseason predictions? Because I didn't. I don't remember. I can't remember if I had them as the fourth seed okay. or not. If I if I did, it was as the fourth seed, which even that is like, right. I'm going to be wrong about that either way. So No, I get you. Uh, my down team, I have just beat the shit out of them all episode, but the Montreal Canadiens, uh, like I said, 3-2-5 and five in their last 10. They fucking blew it last night against the Canucks. It was not a good look. Carey Price has struggled heavily so far this year. Jake Allen is – I would say Jake Allen should be getting most of the starts for the next, like, four or five games. Just give Carey a break and let him get his mind right, honestly. Uh, they're barely hanging on to fourth place, like I said earlier. Canucks are chasing them. Not looking good. Not looking good. So I'll leave it at that. All right. My up team is going to be the Caps. I actually love how they've played the last couple of games. Um, Typically, the Caps tend to do well when one of our top six is out on suspension. It doesn't happen a whole lot, but there's been a couple things with Backstrom in the past. There's obviously been plenty with Wilson. I think even Ovi has gotten one or two. Um, but whatever the reason, even if it's not due to suspension, it seems like anytime one of our top six forwards is out of the lineup, the boys rise to the occasion. Somebody who gets inserted in the lineup rises to the occasion. Um, I thought they looked great against Philly the other night. Um, and I liked, I liked both of the Boston games. The second one was tough, obviously blowout. I don't think they played terrible it wasn't the best obviously but i loved the first boston game i think um we're trending in the right direction and i i will say i absolutely loved how samsonov played um against the flyers 100 percent agree i think the first goal i know it's a two-on-one you can't totally blame a goalie for something like that but it was like five hole it was not it was not a good goal for him to give up Um, but he shut it down after that he made 30 plus saves didn't let another one in so that's good. That's yep. what they need. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, down team, I know I've also beat the shit out of the stars this episode, but let me just do it a little bit more real quick. Um, 
Guys, to put this in perspective, the Dallas Stars have 19 points in the standings. They're in seventh place, only two points above the last place Detroit Dead Wings right now. Um, if you want to compare it to the Honda West division, uh, literally the Sharks are in last place in that division and they have 21 points, which is what? That's Somebody nuts. do math. Yeah. Uh, three more, 19, 20, 21. Two yeah. more, haha, than uh, <laughs> Stars. Um, yeah, it's not a good look for the Stars. They need to get it going. They're under 500. They're about to be below the Red Wings if the Red Wings win one more game. Um, I know they've got a tough schedule, but this is a team that literally was in the Stanley Cup final two games away from winning the Stanley Cup. Um, I don't know what – I'm trying to think of teams. I know that there is kind of a trend of teams losing in the Cup final and then, like, sucking after that. Like, it kind of happened to the Predators a little bit. Um, kind of happened to the Sharks, too. I was, was going to say, say it kind of happened yeah. to the Sharks, too. Happened to the Devils. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, big time happened to the Devils. The Rangers, yeah, but they were they like, still made the playoffs yeah. and stuff after that. The Flyers kind of sucked after the 2010 loss to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can definitely take a lot out of you. Um, I think actually my dad kind of went into this a little bit when we had him on the pod a while back, but when you lose a Stanley cup final, you get everything that the winner gets except the cup, right? You get the shortened yeah. off season, you get the more fatigued guys. Uh, it, it's a sucky thing to come that far and, and still have put as much in as, and played the exact same amount of games as the team that won it, but you get nothing. And suddenly you got to try to do it all over again the next season. And we've seen many times it just goes right down the shitter. So that's what it's looking like for the stars. I like that team. I think it'd be really cool if they could somehow turn around and climb into the playoffs, but where it's at right now, I really don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't either throw a COVID schedule on that too. And it's just brutal. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think they have a good team. I just not sure if that schedule is going to be sustainable. That's a lot of games in a very little time frame. And so especially we'll given that Bishop is probably not going to be back anytime super soon. Same with Sagan. I think it's tough luck lights out for those guys. Yeah. I think even if they like, if, if, and when they do come back, like how can you expect them to adjust that rapidly, you know, no, after yeah. just, it, you would you need know. them coming back like next week so that they'd be good by two weeks after that. And it would actually have time to make it. Right. Different. All righty. Well, that basically wraps it up for us, fellas. Any final notes? It was a good episode. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything. Okay. Just right. another thanks to Rob. Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite interviews. Yeah. Absolutely. All righty, everybody. Well, we appreciate you guys listening. Go check out our sponsors, Brackish Life and Dave the Maryland Mortgage Whiz. We also encourage you to go download the Book It Sports app. If you're listening, please sponsor us. And we will take it from there. So without further ado, class dismissed.